Good morning, Lakeside. Good to have you here uh, in the building and those that are uh, streaming this uh, service. Uh, we're, we're glad that you're worshiping the Lord this day. Uh, one thing I do want to make mention, um, that we are, look, things are changing a lot. There's last couple of weeks, there's been a couple of new things that's come out from uh, the governor's office, but we are trying to looking into, praying about how we might be ha have something on Wednesdays and something for Sunday schools maybe later in the fall, um, but the session we'll be looking at that. We'll, we'll, a number have asked, about, have asked about that, and we'll certainly get back with you um, on that. Um, uh, but uh, right now, let's, we're, we're getting ready to worship, and let's prepare our hearts as uh, Pastor Taylor comes up and leads us with the Apostles' Creed. think with one thing a week I could have communicated that to him. Um, that's on me. I apologize. Um, <clears throat> so today uh, is, is our final Sunday for two of our youth uh, and college staff. Uh, and so I want to ask Bree and Reese to come on up here for just a second. So um, <clears throat> Bree has been with us for a year and a half, maybe, maybe a little over. Um, I feel like it. Yeah. You can, if you want to see their faces, they could, they could even mass all they want to. Um, but Breezeland's for like a year and a half working with the, the youth group and um, has really just done, just done a fantastic job. And, and she came and filled a gap and we, we desperately needed one and um, it's been a joy to have her. Bree is going on to bigger and better things. I don't know about Reese. Um, he's going to Old Miss, so uh, I don't know. Um, but Bree is, uh, so she's going to spend the next six months kind of preparing, getting ready uh, to head off in 2021 to Spain. Well, she will be doing ministry, that, that kind of uh, dance ministry, ballet um, stuff. She's a dance major at um, Belton. Uh, she's going to be going off and doing that. And over there. We're, we hate that. We hate we're losing her. And Reese's headed to Ole Miss, and I had this, this terrifying scare just a few minutes ago. Um, I thought Reese was going to Ole Miss. Then I came in here, and, and Sam said, aren't they doing all their stuff online? I thought, did I fire Reese over a text yesterday when I said, be here at 11, we're going to recognize you for your last day. Um, so that would have been really awkward. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, Reese will be heading to Old Miss to study and, and continue on. So Wednesday, the youth, um, guys, we're going to be kind of throwing a goodbye party for them. Um, so be looking for some more information coming out your way for that. But I'd like to pray for them, uh, and then we'll, then we'll pass it off to Tyson. So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for Lakeside. We thank you for... Uh, the, the ministries that you've, you've blessed us to be able to, to do. Father, we pray that um, you would bless Bree and Reese as they head on. Lord, we, we, they've done so much for our church, so much for our, our students and our college students, and um, just have uh, hearts of ministry that we hope will continue on in their next phases of life. Be with Bree as she prepares for the mission field. Be with Reese as he continues his education. Um, continue to make them leaders in the church as they grow and mature. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. You are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. We are a gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers, and we are so pleased that you are here in worship this morning or that you are watching online or however you are consuming the gospel today. We're pleased to have you here. Uh, so this is, this is going to be a good morning for you. You're going to get to hear the gospel preached 
by our great brother Jim Blaha. So we look forward to that. And as we are called to worship today, I want to do so by proclaiming our faith together, what we believe about Christ Jesus, our Lord, the triune God, and what we believe is our salvation. I want to invite you, if you're able to, to stand now. And Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy the ministry of music together. I saw the risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, though ever man may say. I see His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to Him part. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of His appearing will come at last. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to him part. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing Eternal hallelujahs To Jesus Christ the King The hope of all who seek Him The help of all who find None other is so loving So good and kind He lives, He lives Christ Jesus lives today 
He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to him part. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Uh, listen, our uh, worship director. Nathan Lockie is not with us today. He's got a good excuse. He got married yesterday, and so we're giving him this afternoon as a honeymoon. That's all he gets. He's back next week, and, and, and so we're, we're excited for that. Let me tell you a little bit about finances, and the reason I want to talk to you about finances is because uh, July is the last month of our, our fiscal year, and so we're, about, we're coming to the close of our fiscal year. Here's what happened. Uh, when we were setting out to, about what we thought our budget would be this year, we came up with a number of how much we expected to collect based on historical years. We did not collect that much this year, so we collected less than we expected. Good news is we spent a lot less than we expected so that we ended the year in the black and with a pretty good amount of overage actually this year. Um, So praise God for that. Uh, Every month that we have been meeting since the pandemic, our giving has kind of started to kind of back off just a little bit. I I think we're very fortunate that we have people who can continue to give and support the ministry here. Um, but, but please be faithful if you're able to do so. Uh, ways of giving, we put the boxes in the back because we're not passing plates right now at this time. So there are, are boxes in the back where you can put your check. You can give online if you're watching online, and we appreciate you doing that. We're meeting at 5 o'clock today with our missions committee to figure out how to spend out the rest of our missions dollars. There are a certain amount of dollars that we have left over in our missions budget, and we don't want that just kind of disappearing into our back pages somewhere. We want to make sure that we meet today and give all that out to our missionaries around the world. I know many of you heard about what happened in Belize. I think we sent it out in a, in a prayer concern list. Basically, uh, the King's Children's Home in Belize, um, they started trying to, to kind of be self-sufficient and grow some of their own food. So they got cows, and then someone came and stole the cows. And they got goats, and then someone came and stole the goats. And then they got chickens. And recently, uh, one of the, 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 the orphans who was there at the King's Children's Home was tending the chickens, and two men or a few men came in and, and beat the kid up and stole the chickens. And so it's a tough world when there's not enough food to eat in Belize and men are going into orphanages and beating up children to take chickens. So that's one of our mission partners that we're going to try to uh, see what we can do to help them this week. But many of you have asked about that, and, and missions committee is going to meet at 5 o'clock to begin talking about that. Um, as we continue in worship today, uh, I want to, to enter into a time of prayer uh, and so I want to invite you to do that with me as, as we begin to address our Lord. Father, we, we come into your sanctuary today. Some of us are at home and, and kind of experiencing gathering around the word from a distance. And uh, we start off by, by saying, hallowed be your name. Holy be the name of the Lord our God. And the name of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the spirit who indwells us. And as we gather together, God, and and we're aware of your presence, we're also, that awareness kind of brings us an awareness of our own sinful nature. So we see ourselves as wicked people. We see ourselves as fallen and and not having it all together. And so before we gather around your word, God, as we're gathered as a family, we just stop and in the silence of this room, we individually confess before you 
the sin in our lives. So hear now, God, the, the silent confessions of our hearts. God, and as we confess our sins, we are reminded of the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. And we're thankful, and once again, we're moved to a place of worship where we say, Great are you, Christ Jesus, the unblemished lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. And, and, and God, just being joyful as a result of that, we, we, we do ask uh, on behalf of those that we love in this community that you be gracious to those who are sick. So many are sick with the... Uh, with COVID-19. So many are sick with other things, and it's making it difficult because hospital beds are full of people with COVID-19. There is a lot of depression. There is a lot of anxiety. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Bring relief to your people and to our country. We pray uh, for some sort of a cure or a vaccine or in some way for this uh, virus to, to run its course. Christ, be with us here in this place as we gather around your word. And we thank you that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Worship with us, church, in your heart as we sing, The Lord is my salvation. is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of his word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need, when I know lost, when I am weak, I know his 
His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to Ladies and gentlemen, young and old, this may seem an unusual procedure, speaking to you before the picture begins, but we have an unusual subject, the story of the birth of freedom, the story of Moses. As many of you know, the Holy Bible omits some 30 years of Moses' life. From the time he was a three-month-old baby, and was found in the bulrushes by, by Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, and adopted into the court of Egypt, until he learned that he was Hebrew and killed the Egyptian. To fill in those missing years, we turn to ancient historians, such as Philo and Josephus. Philo wrote at the time that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, and Josephus wrote some 50 years later and watched the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. These historians had access to documents 
long since destroyed, or perhaps lost, like the Dead Sea Scrolls. The theme of this picture is whether men are to be ruled by God's law, or whether they are to be ruled by the whims of a dictator like Ramesses. Are men the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world today. Our intention was not to create a story, but to be worthy of the divinely inspired story created 3,000 years ago, the five books of Moses. The story takes three hours and 39 minutes to unfold. There will be an intermission. Thank you for your attention. Now, the bad news is um, they're not going to continue with the movie. Um, the good news is it also won't be three hours and 39 minutes, so uh, you won't need an intermission. Uh, you know, that, that was what, uh, how different the world has come in the, in the last, what, uh, uh, 70 years, 1956 or so. That was uh, when the Ten Commandments. Uh, and that would go out with the movies that went out, you know, throughout the country, and they would show that beforehand. Um, I remember seeing a while back, but uh, I don't know how many of us have ever seen that when you watch the Ten Commandments and uh, those kinds of things, and uh, you don't hear a whole lot anymore coming out of that world. God's law or uh, the whims of Ramses, men like Ramses, you can name them, uh, plenty of them through history, Stalin and Guys that, you know, the nine guys who wear the robes in our country, the Marxist mob, or 10 billion other people um, with all the like lusts and passions that we have, all wanting to be God themselves. Um, our intention, it says, is not to create a story, but to be worthy. They hear that coming out of that world now. To be worthy of the divinely inspired story created 3,000 years ago. Uh, we are going, working ourselves through the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. It is that aspect of the law of God that was put within the heart of man from the garden. It's picked up and um, clarified, reiterated in the Ten Commandments, and it continues to be the basis of our relationship, our ethical relationship, um, as to as we live as God's people uh, since the crucifixion. Uh, last year we looked at thou shall not murder. Next week we're talking about you shall not uh, steal. Uh, today it's you shall not commit adultery. Uh, if you can, please stand with me and we're going to pray and then we're going to read our text for the, uh, the primary text for the day. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you for your goodness and your love for us. Um, we, we need your spirit always to hear what the spirit would say to the church. And so we do pray for it to be alive and in our midst. And that through it we become better believers as those of your children who walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I said, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that, your, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then from Matthew, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Church, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it lasts forever. And this is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Aaron Ralston was an accomplished outdoorsman and hiker, and in late April 2003, he was hiking around Utah's Blue John Canyon. Now, he was doing a day hike, um, and for him, it, 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 it was a pretty athletic guy. It's a pretty hard trail, but he could do that. It's about uh, 13 miles. It should take him about eight hours. Um, and while he was scrambling through, through a particularly narrow section, he dislodged an 800-pound boulder, and it rolled over, pinning his right hand and his forehand, forearm. Uh, it was that point in time he remembered the, the first rule. He never he didn't tell people where, where he was going and when he would be back. His supplies were gone. He, because it was a day hike, he didn't take a lot. He had, he had a couple burritos and a few liters of water. He already pretty much used them. And so for four days, he wiggled and he waited and he tried to make, um, they could find ways to get out, but it didn't work. And on the morning of the fifth day, he resolved to get free by amputating um, his right hand. The only resource he had was one of those multi-tools. And so he broke his radius and his ulna, and then he cut the remaining skin and the tendon. He got out and he saved his life. Seems really drastic. I think there was a movie um, 
made about it for a while, uh, a while back called 127 Hours, and that's a well-named because you would think about every hour in that situation. But it's difficult to think about it. I mean, when you, and I guess if you saw the movie, you may, you know, they may have done it a lot slower, and, uh, but just trying to sort of process that. I, I, I think I told the first group, and I, I stand by it, they probably would have found me years later with my bones under that rock. How do you do that? What will we do to save our lives? Well, Jesus brings these kind of demands upon his discipleship. He talks about leaving father and mother. He talks about dying daily. He talks about selling all and following him. In our text today, he talks about cutting off your right arm or gouging out or tearing out your right eye. Now, one of the things Jesus does is that he forces us to recognize uh, sort of the reality of our sin by looking at its logical end. Last week, we talked about um, how the sin of anger, ultimately, its logical course is going to be in murder. And thus, every bit of anger in our heart is saying, although the, the, the immediate consequences are not and clearly is bad, but the ultimate consequences, it's, it's, it's the sin of murder. And so Cain's anger, God warns him, he says, turn back from him, something terrible is going to happen, ends in Abel's murder. Adam's disobedience to be like God really means Adam wants to be God. And as we said, the sixth commandment tells us that the hate is to murder. And today, Jesus says, the sin of lust is ultimately the sin of adultery. Taken to its logical conclusion, that is where it goes. The definition of adultery is basically marital infidelity. One man said, basically, if you're married, you're not supposed to have sex with anyone outside of marriage. But if you're not married... You're not supposed to have sex with anyone until you are married. Pretty simple. It's a stark contrast of how we see our world. Now, there are some things we see the, these words of Jesus we need to remember. The first of all, the, sort of the context. Um, the Bible's story from beginning to end talks about the internal sin of, is, is every bit as great as any external sin. But in Jesus' day, the rabbis just sort of turned that on its head a little bit, and they really were downplaying it, and they're saying the real issue is this thing that could cause the death penalty, physical adultery. And then also they were saying that the real problem out there is that it's not so much the men who are being tempted, but let's be honest, it's the women in some way, that they are rather troublesome because we're attracted to them and they're not being careful about that kind of thing. And so Jesus comes out there and he says, no, 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 make sure we all understand. If you do it in the heart, you've done it indeed. And that's how God ultimately sees it. And in the end, it's not whether you think that you ought to, for, the woman ought to um, change where she's, how she, the dress she's wearing or take away that out of your sight, but the ultimate problem is you. And if you want to get radical about stopping these things, well, there you go. Go to your eye and go to your right hand. 
And Jesus tells us elsewhere in Matthew 15, verse 19. He says this, It's for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I mean, all those other things might matter, but ultimately, that's our problem. It's the heart. And it causes great misery. Pastor Robert Rayburn um, I heard an interesting quote from him, and I'm, I'm going to sort of paraphrase it here, but he said something interesting. He said, ultimately our sexual and rom- romantic desires, they tend to awaken very early in our lives, and they really continue unabated till at best we're really old and maybe are re- very ill. Um, not always necessarily. I know one um, theologian who teaches in a seminary, an elderly person, one of the seminary students came up when he was talking about some of these things, and he said, um, Professor Van Til, is it, um, is it not, um, is it kind of nice that this is not as much of an issue now as it may have used to be? And he says, well, when that's true, I will tell you. Few of us um, can't remember episodes in our life where we acted foolishly in these desires. Many of us live with the very real shame of our actions that have, as he said, unmanned us and hurt hurt ourselves and others. And most of us, these have formed some of the most powerful and consequential experiences in our life. I think that's true. Romantic attachments particularly we would all remember it when we were younger, but among young people, often blinds them to the realities that will affect their lives, physically, socially, economically, psychologically, spiritually. And the cost in broken hearts and lives and broken marriages, relationships, jobs, reputations, Christian witness, and even ministries, probably only known by... God. Adultery is always destructive. It destabilizes. It destroys trust. It wreaks havoc upon families and children. It is a ferocious selfishness that makes incredible wounds that rarely are rarely fully healed. And in the midst of that, we profess that the church has always done, because the Bible declares it, that sex, like everything else God has created, is good. It is very good. It's powerful, which is one of the great problems with it. When it's done right, it's good. It's such a good that when it goes wrong, it creates terrible things. It is a great gift. It's a lousy idol. And the Bible has a lot to say about it, both in the Old and the New Testaments. We know the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We know of David's great failure with Bathsheba and then the murder of one of his most faithful generals. We know the story of the woman caught in adultery. It's interesting in the story, it was the woman that was caught. We read Proverbs, 
where Solomon spends a lot of time talking to his son about getting wisdom. And, and the important thing with all these, the son and daughter, even though Jesus is certainly talking about um, in, in Matthew about the sin of desire, and it's often men towards a woman, women can lust too, and often their sin in all of this is to be desired and what they will go through to be desired. And so because of that, they always lump all of the sexual immorality. With fornication, which is just sex outside of marriage altogether by anybody, incest, all the gender bender stuff that we know so well now, But nonetheless, it's a problem. And so in Proverbs, Solomon exhorts his son and again and again to be wary of the wrong woman because it'll lead to your death. The song of Solomon is quite literally an ode to erotic sex. And generally the church has recognized this. We've gotten off track a few times. Uh, certainly during um, uh, you know, the Reformation, there was a, the, a great liberation came, but during more of the, the, the heyday of the Roman Catholic communion, celibacy is what was ultimately lifted up. Sex was seen as something like a necessary evil. Well, you've got to have children. You've got to do it. But you'd be better off after you have the children, you didn't do it, and you only did it for children. And they started passing rules that you could not have those kind of relationships with, between a husband and wife, um, on certain holy days, and by the time of the Reformation, they had designated 183 holy days. But the Reformation changed a whole lot of that because they did not exalt celibacy. Instead, they exalted the family. The Puritans, like the Bible, celebrated sex. They honored it, they revered it, they blessed it. They said a lot about it, most of it we don't get in our culture because we've chosen to create a different view of the Puritans that sounds more like the Scarlet Letter. Yet when we reject God, and we can see it again and again in our culture, we reject truth. We can see what the sexual revolution, I think they used to call it. As one man says, we can see our culture spinning down a black hole of sexual anarchy. Every kind of impurity, every kind of adultery are encouraged, even glorified. We know that. It's almost a cliche. TV, internet, social media. How many times have we not heard? How many times we haven't, haven't seen that? I think last week, uh, Pastor Taylor uh, talked about by a certain age or upper elementary, um, your kid's going to see 8,000 murders. I think maybe from the same source, um, I've read that in, in one year, every one of us in some way will be exposed to some kind of sexual either word, innuendo, actual visual, hear, hearing it, talking about it, over 10,000 times. You talk about making sensitizing you toward things. And as we know, the porn sites are still the number one sites that are visited. Sex sells everything. I remember after one of the big commercials, after one of the Super Bowls a while back, was some beautiful lady chowing to this massive cheeseburger. Pretty sure she didn't eat a lot of those, but it sells. We have entire political movements built around some of the impurities in our culture. And increasingly, people are beginning to see the right 
to not be judged in those kind of things above the freedom of religion, the freedom to gather, even the freedom of speech. And on top of everything else is the tens of millions of abortions that resulted from this world. And we see it in the church too. Uh, you know, generally, you know, you see those studies all the time. Well, this is what the culture is doing and this is what the church is doing. Generally, evangelicals are doing a, a little better, but not much better at all. The numbers of people involved in premarital sex is um, easily above, above 80 and really getting into the mid-90%, depending on the, the study that you have. Ministers have fallen into this. Um, we, we, we've seen this in the EPC. We've had this has happened in our presbytery from time to time. I know it's happened a few times locally, though it's generally uh, you know, talk, not talked about, but it's brought great division in churches. We disapprove. We don't really abhor. Maybe we even anticipate in some ways. So why the command? Why does God seem to think this is so important. And the reason is this. It's to protect marriage. Marriage, and we as Presbyterians know that the whole, the whole way we, we, we deal with our children as covenant members, but ultimately marriage is, the central, is a central thing in the way God understands his creation. Timothy Keller would always call it covenant marriage, and people would come up to him and say, why use the word covenant? Maybe it's an old-fashioned word. Why don't you just cut that out and just say marriage? He says, no, because it seems to sound sort of ancient to people. It seems to think, I'm, when you hear covenant, you think, that guy thinks something different about it than maybe I think about it. And he said he liked covenant because it was a good word because it said that this marriage thing that we understand is a bigger category than people understand. It's a different kind of category than simply people joining a union and making their decisions how they want to do it. Instead, it's not built on simply some emotions, economics, but there's a promise involved, and there are witnesses involved, and there's a God involved. God created marriage. It was really the first thing after making Adam and Eve one man, one woman. They leave, they come together, become one flesh, and thus, uh, in one place, Paul even talks about how going to the prostitute, you're joining a flesh. And, and then when you mess this thing up, you're tearing it to pieces. And we see now, we of all people ought not to be surprised at the ramifications of rejecting God's way in our lives. It's everywhere. What God has joined, a man, has joined together, let no man separate or uncouple or whatever people now want to say. Because if it's not this, it's just a social construct. And by the way, that's how you're seeing it in some movements today. This is just a social construct, and so we need to get rid of this. I think the other day, um, one of the, a couple of the baseball teams, San Francisco was playing, I think um, L.A., and everybody took a knee to a certain thing, but one guy wouldn't. And they said, why are you not going to take a knee? He said, I'm a Christian. And in that thing, it talks about my view of marriage, among a few other things. That would be inconsistent with my faith. Let me give you three very quick reasons why God protects money. Uh, marriage. We'll talk about money next week. The verse can be found in Malachi chapter 2. Because God wants us to have a godly offspring. It's not just that God wants 
nice kids to get to heaven. But when God sees his work in the world, it means passing on our faith generation after generation. It's, it's a high priority for him. And so Malachi says, and the second thing you do, God is accusing the people through Malachi, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning. Because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. God witnessed your wedding. To whom you have been faithless, though she's your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with the portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Here it is. Godly offspring. To guard yourselves in, in your spirit and let none of you be faithless. So guard yourself with your spirit and let none of you be faithless. To the wife of your youth. Interesting. This is the language of Genesis. The spirit. The covenant. God bringing the union together. There being one flesh and children. A godly offspring. Who would then go out and express the character of God throughout the world. He said this is what I consider every one of your marriages. And that's why when we have marriages, whether they're in churches or not, this story is at the center of it, the story of Genesis and the story of Jesus and, and, and honoring marriage at the, in Cana. Psalm 127, I encourage you to take a look at it when you get opportunity. But it talks about the family, and one of the great blessings is you have children who are arrows. And the idea is that ultimately um, you, you will not be put to shame with your enemies in the gate. These arrows are being used to, to go into the next generation with the truth of God. And the illegitimate children, it's not, they're not such a shameful thing. Of course, nothing seems to people to be ashamed anymore, but that's not the real problem. The problem is children without fathers, mothers with multiple husbands and, and, and people and having children that, uh, from multiple um, fathers. And not being discipled in the kingdom, but just continuing the folly. Your children are absolute paramount. You better believe they're going to see and be the same kinds of things you see and do. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be like mom and dad. They're just going to go further down the road. And so it is, godly offspring. The second is sanctification. That means us getting better in Christ. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should have his wife, or, or should give his wife her conjugal rights, and they have sex, and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. But when, but then come together again, so that Satan may not, be, may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What a romantic guy. Try that the next time 
You get that little Hallmark card, what are you going to do? Get one of those that, that, that don't have any words. You've got to put your own words in it, man, and throw that out there and see how that goes. And yet there's a lot of truth to that. God created us this way. He created these, as we said, from, uh, the, from very early in our lives to the very end of our lives. But he says it has, it has a purpose to have children, and it has a purpose for companionship. But marriage is where it's supposed to be, and it's a protection. Marriage is a place of security. It's a place of safety. And in it, in the midst of this relationship, it's not simply being in love, but it's allowing love to grow and to change into something greater. I think one person compared it to sort of like our, our love for our children. You know, you all know what it's like. If you remember well, we have that baby, it comes into the family, and everybody's crying, they're happy, there's so much joy. Um, and then you go home with the baby. And then you start to give. And you give, 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 and then it's day two. And then you give, and give, and give, and the elementary years, and then it's high school years, the teenage years. You do it through college. And look, there's some benefits, there, there's some appreciation, but a lot of times there's not. There's just lots of sacrifice, um, very, very seldom, you know, to all the kids, you, you will one day know what your parents have gone through to bless you and, and out of their love for you. But somewhere at the end of that, you never go, oh my goodness, I just never got... You find out you have a relationship that is far deeper than the great joy you had when the small baby came into the world. And marriage done right creates that. We fall in love, but ultimately commit because of a promise, and we stick it out in the promise, and we seek to make it grow, and years later... It's different, but far greater. They say this is one of the problems with people who live together thinking that it's going to do better in marriage. Well, they find out it doesn't really work. First of all, because whether they know it consciously or not, they're looking at the whole thing like it's a consumer activity. If it works, it doesn't, whatever. And beyond that, people tend to live with someone they discover who they would not marry. And then after they've lived together for a while, the bonds and connections so deep, it really couldn't get out cleanly. The Puritans would often say in this that sex is a sacrament. Or at least it's sacramental. In the sense that it's an external sign of something of a great reality, internal reality. It reflects an intimacy that's based on something other the passing whims of the moment. The third thing, the first one is, it's, is, is that it's a godly offspring. The second is it's good for our sanctification, becoming like God. The third one is a great illustration. Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now that's an interesting text, because other than Genesis and John with, with, with Canaan, this is the one we read at most weddings. 
that a husband is to love his wife. His wife submits to him. He sacrifices for her. We talk about all these wonderful things. And he kind of gets down to the end of it. And he says, therefore, a man leaves his parents and he joins himself to another. And then two verses down there, it says, however, love your wife and respect your husband. But right between them, he says, this is a mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and his church. Well, which is it? Is he talking about a marriage or is he talking about Christ and his church? And the answer is both, obviously. That in the understanding of God, the greatest example, or at least one of the greatest examples, I would say, is, is and, and manifestation of the kingdom of God is our marriages, our families. And it's a great vehicle through children and other ways to establish the kingdom of God. It's not an accident that you see again and again through the Old and New Testament that when God wants to speak of his people leaving him, he speaks of them as idolaters and adulterers. And those words keep coming in again and again. For example, Jeremiah says, surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, you're leaving me. You find thousands of them thinking James 4.4, talking to the church of his day. He says, you adulterous people. It's an interesting language. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? And Jesus says in one place that if you are ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous generation, then... I will be ashamed of you. And he was talking not about the Greek world, the Roman world out there. He was talking about the ostensibly confessing people of God, Israel. The Romans weren't an adulterous generation. The people of God were. So I think Paul ultimately echoing what Jesus says in our text today tells the Colossians to put to death, therefore, what is earthly of you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, interestingly, idolatry. Two things I want to mention quickly as we close. So what now? And there's two things I, I would want us to take away from this. And you really need the first before you do well the second. And so the first is this. It is all about Christ. If our goal is simply to find some way out of this Gordian knot that Jesus creates that seems impossible, and so we fall back on bad confidences, well, he doesn't really care, or he'll just take care of that. Well, there's truth to the latter there, but that's not why that's here. He wants us to see this very seriously, but it's important we see that connection between our falling from Christ and our inability to hold what he considers precious. And so we ought to seek to be, indeed, all of us, a holy bride to Christ, who is our great groom. We should adorn ourselves in word and thought and deed in such a way that we honor Christ. And so if I had to tell you, you've put yourself in a hole. You're fighting with something you don't want to have to be fighting with. You wish you can get out. Sure, we'll talk in a second about it. get out of it. Put the separation there. Do the practical things you can do. But if you do not fill it 
with falling in love again with your first love, you're going to find it awful frustrating. We want to, Christ wants us to love the standard, not just to keep it. We've shared that before. We want our kids, don't you want your kids, the things you teach them, ultimately to fall in love? You may not know it until they're 25 or 30, and then you'll know when they tell you then, but you want them to love the standards you love, not just do the standards. I mean, I do that. I mean, hey, kids, I'm the preacher. Quit hitting each other. But I'd rather them not hate each other because they love Christ. And so that ought to be our great goal, to fall in love with Christ, fill him with his, or fill him with his word, worship him, find ways to glorify him, and love his standard. Being satisfied in Christ is the best antidote to all our bad loves of idols. As Paul says, he counts all things as lost for simply the surpassing value of knowing Christ. One of the things Israel was accused of was being idol worshipers. Paul was able to reject all of that idol worship because he loved the surpassing value of Christ. Then the second part is this. If you're working through that first one, the second one, the, take serious what our Lord says here. Put to death the things that ought not to be alive. He says, your right eye, your right hand. He says, obviously, this is not to be done literally, but it is to express value. The word right is there not by accident. That's all talking about power. My right hand man, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. The eye represents what goes into the mind, the heart. It's, your, it's your, the way you think about God. The right hand is the thing you put your labor to. What Paul is doing here, or Jesus is doing in a negative way, uh, Moses did in the positive when he said, Bind my law, thou shalt not commit adultery, on your forehead between your eyes and on your hands, in your thinking and in your inner man, in the work and the labor of your life. And so what is Jesus saying here? the very best and strength, the strongest thing you are and have, you need to be willing to give that up. Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, if anyone could brag on being a good Jew, it was him, had it considered but rubbish that he might gain Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, Indeed, God is faithful. He won't allow us to be, we will be able to endure our temptations. He doesn't say it's easy. By any means. In fact, one man said, speaking of the Christian ideal, said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. I've had people say that. Oh, I tried that. No, you didn't. It has been found difficult and left untried. Seek Christ with all your heart and be ready to, as Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, he, when he talks about them, you've not yet shed blood in your struggle against sin. It's not going to be easy. And so you do what you have to do. You separate yourself. You put the, the filters on. You separate yourself from the pouring. You separate yourself from the relationships that are dangerous, the ones we just kind of, uh, you might not think, well, that's not going to really go there, but you glorify them in your mind, in your heart. You join yourself to other people that can help you. As he, Paul tells Timothy, he says, flee youthful lust. He's not saying Timothy, you, you're youthful, so you got lust. He's saying, the lusts that we associate with youth, we all got them, flee them. Think. 
Joseph. Uh, they're close. I do, I do want to mention here. Um, we do what we can. We preach. We pray. You do the things you do. We are blessed that we have a ministry here called the Samson Society. Um, look, it, it covers a lot of things. It's only for men. This is a, a men's thing. Um, it, it really is it, it's to encourage and stand with men as they work out their faith. But it touches on a lot on these kinds of things. And my goodness, if God has, has ministered you in some way and you, you said, I need some help in this area, please talk to Pastor Taylor, talk to myself. Um, Rob Turner is sort of the facilitator of this. Uh, the nice thing about these, the society, they have um, branches of it all over the city and maybe elsewhere. So you don't have to be here, but we do have one here. They meet on Saturday mornings. But we have to all take seriously what Jesus is saying here. Uh, this is the word of God as we begin every uh, message. Um, do not commit adultery. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. Um, look, if we describe these things, not, I don't think one of us does not have the regrets, regrets and the pains. Um, there are probably many of us in the struggle at all kinds of various levels of justification, um, of, of, of um, being trapped, um, falling into, hunting for holes to jump into. We do pray, Father, for your mercy. We thank you. You're the God who allows us to forget what is behind because we can repent. Give us the grace to find strength. Allow us to find Jesus in a fresh way that then allows us to love the standard and then to begin working through it with the discipline of a disciple. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray together. Father, we ask that you would dismiss us now.
in the great love of our Lord Jesus. He who through his death and resurrection is going to bring us body, soul, and spirit, blameless before your throne, that he indeed will lead us through all our temptations and in, in every way have us conform to the, his, his, his glorious image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we bend the ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise.